Welcome to episode 14 of Swift Unwrapped. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Smart. So Swift Unwrapped is a podcast about uh, the Swift programming language uh, and other Swift news. And uh, before we get started today, we have a sponsor. Today, our sponsor is BuddyBuild. BuddyBuild has a continuous integration, continuous development, uh, deployment, and user feedback platform for iOS and Android. Uh, So if you've ever been spending your time retrofitting legacy web infrastructure, if you spend too much time maintaining build scripts uh, just to get your programming job done, uh, BuddyBuild is there for you. It takes minutes to set up. You can customize it to match exactly what you, you need for your app. Uh, using BuddyBuild, you can get all the time that you've spent working on infrastructure like this and go back to working on creating and maintaining uh, the apps that your users will love. It's used by lots of big companies out there. You can try it for free uh, at BuddyBuild.com and uh, go check it out. Our thanks to BuddyBuild for sponsoring this episode. So Jesse, we have a lot to talk about today. What's new in Swift 4? Yeah, uh, so we've covered a lot of things in previous episodes uh, about what's coming up, different proposals that have been reviewed and accepted for Swift 4. But today we're going to discuss kind of everything that you should expect in Swift 4, uh, the highlights, uh, the changes, and yeah, what's coming up in the the new uh, Swift world we will be living in after DubDub. Your your reality, soon-to-be reality. Um, and for people listening at home, if you're in front of a computer, if if uh, if you're not, you know, driving or, or cycling, uh, if you can pull up um, this amazing playground that Ola Begeman put together uh, just about a few weeks ago, by the time you listen to this episode, um, you can find it uh, at oleb.net. Uh, so that's Ola's blog, or GitHub.com/ole. Um, and then you'll find what's new in Swift 4. There's a playground there, and that's what we'll be using to kind of follow along uh, and guide us towards all of these awesome new Swift features that will be coming in Swift 4. Uh, so really kudos to Ola for putting this together. Yeah, it's a great playground. It's a really easy way to see uh, what's new. All you have to do is download the latest uh, Swift snapshot, install that next code. All the instructions are there. Uh, so even if you haven't done that before, it, it's it's really easy to to set up. So the first thing here is uh, one-sided ranges. So we discussed this in a previous episode, I think. Pretty straightforward. Uh, it allows you to uh, create ranges um, without having to specify um, either start point or end point. Uh, the range will kind of auto-complete like the rest of that range for you. Uh, so if you have like one dot, 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 then uh, your range will start at, at one and continue till the, the end of uh, the sequence. Yeah, and so this really makes a lot of code um, very concise, right? So if you're doing 
uh, a subscript operation, then you can specify just one side of where you want that to be and then go to the end. Uh, or if you want to create an infinite sequence that starts at a certain number or, or, or type, uh, then you can do all of that. And this is especially useful for uh, pattern matching. So like in a switch statement, uh, instead of uh, kind of saying it has to be larger than this value, smaller than that value, you can say, well, if it's in the infinite sequence of one to infinity. Um, and, you know, that that in some cases will read a little nicer. Yeah, um, it's nice to, uh, you know, if you start, if you need uh, some sequence, usually you'd be going, I think it's pretty common to go to the end index. So uh, just being able to omit, uh, you know, dot, dot, uh, less than, and whatever is the the sequences dot end index or the collection or whatever, yeah, it's really nice to omit all those extra characters. Uh, what else do we have up next is uh, multi-line string literals. Now we also talked about this uh, in the variety show version of the episode, and uh, this will just make the ergonomics of writing long strings in Swift so much nicer. So, so yeah, j- just just a brief overview. Um, you use the th- three quote characters as the opening sequence and the closing sequence uh, for multi-line strings. Um, You need to start with a new line after the opening three uh, double quotes, and you need to end with a new line before the terminating three double quotes. And then the indentation of the terminating three double quotes is uh, the base indentation that will be stripped out of every uh, line in that string. So that's that's what it looks like in a nutshell. It looks, looks pretty nice. Uh, and a lot of work has actually been done in the last few weeks in terms of improving the, uh, the diagnostics and helping, uh, helping you actually come to this nice syntax uh, without fighting too much with the compiler when things are over-indented, under-indented, etc. Yeah, one thing I like is that, uh, which I didn't realize before, is you don't have to escape uh, single quotes uh, in that multi-line string. So uh, if your string has uh, quotes around, single quotes around parts of it. Uh, or double quotes. Or double quotes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then you can just put those right in line. You don't have to escape them, which is a little nicer to read. Uh, it looks like the... Uh, the string that this produces, though, actually has the new lines after each line. So if your, your multi-line string is across three lines, then after each, there's a new line character, which I didn't realize that was part of this. Well, it basically looks exactly as how you paste it in, right? Uh, which is kind of the point, right? I see. And if you um, don't want to have these new lines, uh, what you can do is just use string concatenation like you've always done. Right. Or if you want to separate your lines with uh, something else, then you can use the array of strings with a dot joined separator mm-hmm. uh, function. Cool. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. To, uh... some, some really interesting things that are possible with this. Um, uh, so you can use string interpolation within multi-line uh, strings. So that's very useful. You can also use string interpolation with a multi-line string inside a multi-line string. Um, so <laughs> it, it can get a little hairy. It, it might be uh, something that you you know want to think twice about doing because it might make it difficult to kind of understand what's happening, but uh, it, it'll certainly come in handy. 
Cool. The The other thing that I really love here, another string change is that string is a collection again. Uh, Hooray. <laughs> before... Party well, popper emoji. <laughs> yeah. It, it was a collection and then it was not. And then you had to access uh, dot characters. Um, now it's back to being a collection again. So if you have... Uh, hello world and you do dot count you'll get the the count of or the the length of that string um and if you enumerate over that so you say like for x in string uh you're actually you get each uh character there uh which is pretty nice yeah this should really help with the ergonomics of using uh using strings in swift and hopefully some of the limitations or or concerns that the Swift core team originally had for doing this, because uh, the type system was part of the problem. The other was um, uh, kind of being misleading in terms of Unicode correctness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so hopefully th- the usability gains from this um, outweigh uh, those those downsides, which I really think they do. Yeah, and you can still get those uh, specific views into the string if you want, uh, right? Like the, That's right. Yeah, yeah. The different yeah. Unicode views. So the Unicode scalar view, UTF-8 view, UTF-16 view, those are all still there. And then this kind of brings us to, uh, you know, string is no longer just string. It's string and substring. So substring is now a type. Um, and the bulk of the API for both of these is all in string protocol. Um, so if you want to... Um, you know, subscript, get a substring, call uppercase on uh, a string or a substring. All of this API is on string protocol, not string or substring. Um, this has subtle uh, implications, such as um, NS string bridging. So on Darwin platforms, um, this is implicitly bridged. So a string is implicitly bridged to NS string. If you're calling a method that is only available on NS string. Uh, it'll kind of look at that string literal or uh, string and it'll say, well, coerce this to be an NS string. With substring, I don't know if that's planned uh, or if it's just not done in the latest snapshots, but substring doesn't have that implicit bridging. So I, I'd be curious to, to see how that plays out. Right. Yeah, that's good to know. Uh, and so, yes, if you have, if you want to extend extend string with helper functions and, and anything else, then it'd be better to put those methods on string protocol now instead, and then your substring will have access to that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, and hopefully it should be very easy to do because uh, almost the entirety of the string API is going to be on string protocol. So uh, extending string protocol shouldn't paint you into a corner. And now you can write your own string types just by conforming to string. Protocol. Which everyone's <laughs> been clamoring for. <laughs> cool. Uh, next up is Unicode 9. Uh, so support for Unicode 9 and fixing some current issues in Swift 3 right now. I, I don't know how widely uh, this is used by app developers, but as you know, this is like a huge effort in Swift to have full native Unicode support, so. Yeah, it's not so much that you're explicitly trying to use this. It's more that um, when you're taking in user input and the user can put in whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, you want it to do the right thing and not crash. And- exactly. So now with um, with these graphing clusters, such as, as multiple emojis that are combined or composed into one, 
Um, so, for example, uh, the the new uh, profession and gender-based emojis that I think came out with iOS 10 or some some point release of that. Uh, so, for example, if you compose a person plus a skin tone plus a profession, that should really just be one semantic character. So prior to before, if you were to call uh, .characters .count on that, you'd get something like three or four. Um, whereas with before, you get one. That's a single logical character. Right. Uh, yeah. So if you have uh, like women, woman plus skin tone plus laptop, then you get the uh, programmer woman uh, emoji. Yeah. yeah. Or person with laptop. I don't know what the actual uh, oh, man. like Unicode name is, but <laughs> that's. I feel like that's a whole other kind of subgenre. People who know the correct Unicode names for like all of the emoji right, right off the bat. Yeah, we can do a whole episode about that uh, with with someone else on. <laughs> I don't think I'm yeah. I'm anywhere near that. Another thing that's coming to Swift 4 uh, are the changes to access controls, everyone's favorite topic. Uh, private uh, now is accessible uh, inside the same file uh, in extensions of uh, types. So you have a type, you have a private variable, you extend that type, and you can access that private member. We've covered this quite a bit, so I don't think there's too much more to say other than when you are uh, adopting Swift 4 uh, and Xcode 9, if you're not a fan of file private, you can probably start switching many of those back to private and see if everything still compiles and works. And if it does, then no more file private for you, I guess. I think uh, one more thing on this. When we last discussed this in, in our episode on access control levels, someone wrote in, uh, and I apologize to whoever that was because I, I don't remember where I heard this from, but uh, part of the motivation, so one of the things that I had commented is, oh, I don't know why uh, file or sorry, private with this extension um, doesn't extend to multiple files. Uh, where if you have the extension of a type in a second file, then you can um, you can still access that private member because semantically, it you know if we're saying that private should be um, visible inside extensions of the same type, then really why should that be limited to the same file? And what we heard is that uh, this way it um, ensures the linear uh, expansion of access control levels. So file private is a strict superset of private and internal is a strict superset of file private and public is a strict superset of uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then open is next. So they're all strict supersets of each other. Whereas if private uh, was could be used in extensions in other files, well, then it's not a strict subset of file private. Exactly. Yeah. Which would definitely cause way more confusion. Uh, I don't think access control needs uh, any more confusing things. Uh, next up is smart key paths. Um, this is Kind of a big feature, a lot of times in, in the last few years when you've heard these debates of uh, Swift's dynamism, people have kind of linked it to this fairly unrelated concept of uh, things that you can do with key paths uh, and Objective-C metaprogramming. So like selectors and things like that, uh, string-based selectors. Um, now with Swift 4, we see the introduction of smart key paths, which is a way to refer to some of the 
accessors, if you will, of um, structs and enums and uh, and classes. Um, and so you can do things like refer to uh, the property of a struct um, in a type-safe way, in a way that you're not uh, kind of typing in a, um, a string to represent this key path. Uh, you're actually specifying the property reference. So for example, uh, if you have a person struct and they have a name string property, well, you can refer to that property in the abstract, not for any one particular person instance, uh, as backslash capital P person dot name. And so that refers to the concept of the person's name property that you can then kind of use in other places. You can use this for key value coding if you're using uh, Objective-C compatible classes. You can also use it um, in kind of a new key value coding like interface where all values in Swift now have a key path keyed subscript. Uh, where you can pass in this key path in a type-safe way, and you won't be able to pass in the key path of some other object, and you'll be able to access the value from it there. Now, this is going to be useful um, in all sorts of ways, one of which is when you're um, dealing with the serialization and deserialization of of objects, and you want a way to refer to uh, its its property, um, so you, you'd be able to use this. Lots of other uses. I'm looking forward to how this kind of manifests itself in, in practice. Yeah, you could use this for uh, deferred execution in certain situations if you don't want to. Let's say accessing a property is like, maybe it's a computed property and it's expensive and it needs to be deferred until some later time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a great use case, actually, is um, if like early on in your code, you want to determine which property to access to get a certain value out depending on control flow and then do a bunch of expensive operations. Then later you actually need to access the property for the first time. Well, you can store that early on in a smart key path and then just kind of invoke it with the key path subscript later on. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, I still, uh, I think the syntax is a little odd, but it is growing on me, uh, playing around uh, in this playground. Uh, so you have this like backslash and then you, then, then you specify the key path. So you have like backslash person uh, dot name. The cool thing is that once you actually have a key path uh, object, Swift can infer the type. Uh, so you could use uh, backslash dot name later in contexts where Swift can infer the type, which is kind of nice. Right. So that's like chaining key paths, basically, right? So if you have a person with, uh, you know, a friend property that points to another person, um, then you can store, you know, person.friend as a key path. And then later on, you can call the appending function on the key path type. And this is this is a, a type that's uh, now in the Swift standard library, just like string and int. Uh, there's now key path. And um, you can then append additional key paths, such as backslash dot name for that person dot friend dot name, right? Yeah, so I think this will be pretty powerful, but we haven't yet really seen the ways in which this will be used. Another big change that's coming, uh, or addition, I should say, are the changes to uh, encoding and decoding. Uh, so there are the archival and serialization uh, APIs that are coming uh, from SE 166. 
This is really great. If you've ever used NS coding, uh, which you most likely have, if you have been writing Objective-C at all, it's probably one of the easiest and like most lightweight ways to just persist data on iOS. You conform to NS coding, uh, you implement uh, the couple of methods there to encode and decode uh, your object, and then you can use the NS key to archiver and unarchiver uh, to serialize and deserialize your, your object graph to disk. I think a, a lot of people use this. It's really great if you have a, a really simple app that doesn't really need to have any kind of uh, fancy uh, persistence layer, or if you just need to write out some temporary data uh, for later use. But there's a lot of boilerplate with that. And that's one of the main, eliminating that was like one of the main uh, goals here with these proposals. So all of the primitive types and uh, the Swift standard lib uh, conform to the codable protocol. So uh, let's say you you create your own types. You have, again, let's say you have like struct person and you can just make person conform to codable. All of its... Um, all of its properties are codable if they are primitives. And uh, then you get a lot of this functionality for free. Yeah. Um, one of the great things I like about the way this was designed and implemented is that um, uh, it really leverages the composability of the work that's been done. Um, and this this is a recurring theme in the design principles of the Swift standard library and the Swift language is that if the Swift standard library or the language can provide something uh, that behaves a certain way, then you can leverage that behavior just by using it and composing multiple things that have it. So for example, copy on write semantics, right? So if you want to build your own copy on write type, as long as you back it with a standard library copy on write type, you get a lot of that for free. And the same thing goes for Codable, where um, if all of the member elements so properties, say, of your struct or of your class uh, conform to codable, then all you need to do is to uh, add the protocol inheritance to your type uh, of, of codable, and you'll get it for free as well. Um, so the example that Ola has in uh, the playground here is to have a card struct um, that has a suit and rank, and suit and rank are both enums that have, you know, suit has clubs, spades, etc., and then rank is like one through ten, and then jack, queen, king. Um, so by having all of those just literally have the word codable in its uh, protocol inheritance, you can, you can use this to um, pass it to a JSON encoder or uh, a property list encoder decoder. You can pass it to NSKeyed archiver. And by using this composition without writing any serialization code, without implementing um, encode with encoder or decode with encoder or anything like that, you get uh, conformance decodable for free. So really impressive uh, design here. Yeah, it's this is super awesome. I I love this, especially with the the new JSON encoders and decoders. You you have your type. You can tell the JSON encoder to encode that, and then that JSON data you get back. Um, I guess it reflects on the property names. So you have in this example with a card, it has a rank and a suit property. So in this json dictionary you just have rank and then whatever that value is and suit and then whatever that value is and all of this just happens 
automatically for you. You don't have to write all this stuff manually anymore, like manually like you would in Objective C. There are also like I don't know, maybe a dozen Objective C libraries that try to uh, automate all of this stuff using the Objective C runtime and other things, and it's just, it's so nice to not have to write any of this code anymore. Uh, everything just happens automatically. Yeah, and of course you can build your own encoders and decoders. Um, one of the projects that I'm involved with is uh, YAMS. It's a YAML parser um, built on top of uh, libyaml. And uh, to be honest, Norio Nomura has done the vast majority of the work of like actually making it into an awesome library. And um, what he's done lately is he added a prototype support for conformance to the codable and uh, and encoder protocols. And uh, what what's amazing is that you can do the same thing that this property list encoder and the JSON encoder and their decoder equivalents do that come for free with the standard library, or, or rather with Foundation and CoreLibs Foundation. You can do the same thing with your own kind of backing serialization formats. And, and so that's what uh, Norio did for, for the YAMS framework. And so now anything that conform, that you can then pass to a JSON encoder like this uh, card struct, you'd be able to pass that to YAMS to encode uh, as YAML and then vice versa. Um, so it's extremely composable. You can very easily kind of convert JSON to YAML using the same process. Um, so very cool stuff. Okay, so that's all we have for this episode. Uh, we're going to cover uh, the rest of what's new in Swift 4 uh, in our next episode. Uh, so what's new in Swift 4 Part 2. Again, I'm Jesse Squires. You can find me on Twitter, jesse underscore squires. I'm JP Samard. You can find me on Twitter at SimJP. And the show is at Swift underscore Unwrapped. Uh, thanks again to Buddy Build for sponsoring. Uh, we'll see you next week.